0: A couple weeks ago, we did a conference with Chosen People Ministries, and we had a special man that uh, I will like to try to get him at one of our conferences, but he shared with us uh, about his uh, father that was in the concentration camp. I'm not sure which one was at Auschwitz. I'm not sure, uh, but his father, who uh, lives in L.A., uh, he's uh, become well-known. He, he never talked about the Holocaust, but his son heard... Never even talked about it with his son. His son heard about it, and his son started to look into what his father did. And there was one scene uh, that he shared with us at our conference if you missed it, which you could have been there to hear it, but uh, if you did, uh, he his son told us that his father was in one of the concentration camps and he was in a section with uh, non-officers, non-commissioned officers. It would be like a sergeant or so. He was in charge of all of them. And I think he said there were about fifteen, twelve hundred, fifteen hundred 1,200, 1,500 people uh, out there. And so one uh, one day... The, lead, the head of the concentration camp said, tomorrow what I'd like for you to do is bring out all the Jewish prisoners, only the Jewish prisoners. And obviously they were going to kill all the Jewish prisoners, and he was responsible. And so he went out the next morning uh, with all twelve or 1,500 prisoners. Not There was about 200 Jewish. He brought everybody out. And the head of the, uh, the commandant, or whoever it was, uh, said to him, I told you I only wanted the Jewish prisoners here. And this man who was not Jewish looked at him and said, We are all Jewish. <laughs> I'm going to try to get this man into our conference. And so the commandant was very uh, enraged at that point, And they had seen what he had done, killing and destroying people. And the commandant took out a gun and put it right to his head. And he had said, that he said, I only want the Jewish people. Otherwise, you know what I will do. And he looked at the German commandant, and it was the end of the war, about 1945, and it was getting to the very end. And he looked at the commandant, pointing his finger at him, and said, we know who you are, and we are coming, and we will get you. You will not survive. he said that, and the only reason we know about that is because there were two Jewish men who was with that uh, man who witnessed the whole thing. It's, those are the men who live up in l a right now, and they watched him as the commandant started shaking violently, and he ran away and left and he didn't and that man was spared. so there, and the reason I bring that is because Bill uh, at the beginning said. Which so is so true. How many would run out and stop that person beating up that that girl? How many would shout at him and say, Stop? And Bill said, No one. No one. How many would call nine one one? Said, No one. But there were some. There were some people that dared to risk their lives for our people. It's a very, very, very hard idea, the whole idea of the uh, the concentration camps and the Holocaust. When I look at that picture, can we have the picture back again? Picture of Auschwitz? The, you know, opening picture? Not? No, the very opening one. Well, you can stop there. You could go back one. Go back one. Yeah. Uh, in, ni- in 2009, my wife and I had the privilege and the opportunity to be standing right there. We stood there. 70, thank God, 70 years after that. We stood there in the snow. It had snowed the night before. And we were in Auschwitz. We woke up there in the town of Auschwitz. And we went. There were two Auschwitz, people don't know, in the town. One is Auschwitz 1. And uh, we were there. And they showed that sign. with not. That's not Auschwitz 1. Where they showed, work makes free we walked in there we saw the polish polish barracks that they had made into a concentration camp and we saw where special rooms were made for jewish tortures we we saw and they showed that the wall where they would shoot the the jewish people and all kinds of prisoners not just jewish people and we saw the crematoriums where they were there intact it was uh, it was a uh i don 't know how to describe the emotions as we were there in uh auschwitz one then in the snow, we walked uh, first they drove us, then we walked into auschwitz two which is called birkenauer uh well, this by the way uh go back uh, go to the the train station train train tracks that's we were there go back to the can you get to the tracks where you see the, the main main picture the first picture the we have they're all nice but the the main one with the train tracks you can't get it okay we were not there that's on the probably the streets there in poland but when we were there we were on the selection station yes yes we walked through that gate we walked through that gate it's a one not a wonderful it's a tremendous experience if you ever have the opportunity to walk through that gate uh to my knowledge, I think we're, that's gone from the inside to outside uh, because I, the door on the left there is what I used. That was the restroom. But anyway, um, we were all there in, the, uh, in that time. And we, we stood. They had blown up most of the uh, crematorium, but we were there where some were blown up. We had our taluses on. We sang the Shema. We read the Hebrew prayers, and we did certain things. We did the Kaddish there. Uh, it was very, very, we were in the barracks that you saw there, the wooden barracks where uh, the prisoners We were there. Uh, it's, a tr- it's an overwhelming experience to see that it actually happened. Uh, I was mentioning to Bill today, if you ever get the opportunity to do it, do it in the wintertime. Bill said, you must have been freezing. We were. And that made it even much more real to, be, uh, to have heavy coats there and to be there actually in the snow. Uh, very, it's an ama- it was an amazing, amazing experience to be there. It, it shook us to our core. Uh, but I, So I, I just want to uh, tell my thanks to everyone who's been involved with this. If you want an experience, I, you, the, you can get somewhat of a feel if you read one book. There's many, many books on it and read them all, but if you want one book that can summarize what took place, the death march, the feeling of what took place, one book is about 105 to 110 pages. I will recommend that you read it one sitting. Find a time when you can get a chance. Read through the book in one sitting. The book is called Night by Elie Wiesel and uh, It's a powerful, powerful book. It's when he was taken as a child, maybe nine years old, with his father to Auschwitz. And he was there for a number of years with his father the time uh, what he calls night. It's a very, very powerful, powerful uh, book. And I would encourage you uh, to uh, read it. There's a childhood prayer that people say Uh, The prayer that you've heard many, many children say is, God is great, God is good, let us thank him for this food. And the opponents of faith, the opponents of who we are and believe, take a, a very great exception to that phrase, God is great and God is good. The opponents will say, and there's so many questions and feelings and emotions that you have and Uh, There's so many things you could talk about for so long. But in the phrase, God is great, God is good, the opponents say, God is not great. They point to this. And the opponents will tell you, God is not great. God is either wicked or, or weak or incapable of stopping that. So they say, God is not great. They say, God is not good. Some people say God is great, but He's not good. But you need both. You need a great God who is good, who only does good. And you look at something like this and you say, how could there be great and good a God who could have stopped this? Listen, the condition that you want, that you will one day see, of perfect peace, the, the, the utopia that we all would look for, will happen one day. Why God has chosen to put it off until that day, we're not sure. We don't know. We don't have the answers. Don't try to figure the answers. But we do know for certain there will be a time when we will be in God's presence, when it will be a utopia. There will be great peace, and there will be great joy for all eternity. The phrase, God is great, God is good, it is true. Um, I want to just ask very briefly for a minute, when you talk of the Holocaust, I will summarize if I can in four short questions. There are many, many questions. I just picked a couple here, a thought. Questions that let's try to deal not with what we can't figure and understand, what we know. One, you have an outline if you want it. I'm going to just go over very, very briefly. One, how do the faithful respond to this tragedy? How do the faithful respond to this tragedy? I'll tell you first, the faithful, you have the outline, the faithful are what, how how does anyone, the faithful respond to darkness, difficulties, tragedies. The unfaithful play the blame game, is what I just said. They will tell you God is not great, God is not good. The unfaithful blame God for everything. But, and that's all I want to say about the unfaithful, there is a blame game. And they find excuses why they should not believe in God. But the faithful have a different answer. The faithful do answer. And, and there's verses, but I, I, I'm going to try to summarize these verses because we've been here long enough. But the faithful will say, Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear though the earth should change, or as we would say in California, shake. God is faithful. Though the earth should change, the mountains would slip into the hearts of the sea. God is faithful. Job, I'll summarize Job. He made it very easy. Job says, the Lord has given and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. God gave Job everything, children, wealth, faith. God gave Job everything. Job lost it all. I don't know if I could respond like Job, but he did say, God gave me and God has taken away God's privilege. That's how the faithful respond. God has given. God has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. How else did Job respond? Maybe wives don't like this, but he said to his wife, you speak as one of the foolish women. Because his wife said, curse God and die already. Job was faithful. In the midst of tragedy, hard, hard things, we have to say God is still great. God is still good. I will summarize. I have it down here. A number of verses in Nehemiah and Daniel. It's some of my favorite prayers in the Bible. Nehemiah. I'm not going to read. You can put them up there. Okay. Nehemiah 1 and Daniel chapter 9. These were two tremendously faithful men. Nehemiah saw the destruction of Israel. He was in a foreign land. He heard that Israel was destroyed. And Nehemiah's response, let me see if I could just see it. He heard the words, he sat down, he mourned, he wept. The next slide. This is what Nehemiah said. We have acted corruptly. We have acted against you, against your commandments. And what Nehemiah basically said is two things which we should remember. Is, we are corrupt. We have sinned. God is good and God is great. God is still in control. The evil, the wrong, the bad that comes to us. We should not be saying, you know, that, that we should look at and say how bad God is. But I like to think of it this time. We have a picture of man at his worst. Not God at his weakest. And God was good and faithful and preserved them. The uh, Daniel... Daniel says it this way. In Daniel, look, let's see if we can see. Daniel chapter 3, verse 7. No, no verse 5. That's slide. Daniel says this. We have sinned. We have committed uh, iniquity, uh, acted wicked and, be, and rebelled, even turning away from God. Next slide. But, he says, righteousness belongs to you. How do the faithful respond? We are wicked. We've turned away from God. We are sinful. We don't like to say that. God is always righteous and holy and good. Daniel says in the next slide, but open shame belongs to us, O Lord. We don't deserve the goodness and mercy and grace of God. God is always righteous. God is always good. We are the ones who have turned away from God. If anything, we deserve more. But God is good. We don't understand when we see it come to a a head, like at the Holocaust. God is faithful and God is good. How do we respond? Say, I don't understand. I can't explain it. It is hurtful and painful. But one day we will see Him and it will all be made right. How do the faithful respond? Second, where was God in all this? This is not easy. This is a hard one to answer. Where was God in all this? God, the Bible says, He disciplined His people. I am not saying the Holocaust was God's punishment and discipline on our people. God has said when our people get out of line and turn away from Him, in the book of Deuteronomy, it says our people will turn away from God. And when they turn away from God, God will basically say, okay, go your own way. God will say, you want to do your own thing? You want to turn from me? Go in your own way and see the results of it. The Holocaust was the result of God sending his people scattered to the four ends of the earth. He made the promise we saw took place in 70 CE. God said that our people had turned from him. Now I turn you over. The results was man at his wickedness. Now, the Bible also does say God allowed them to go out The nations punished our people. And you know what God said to them? They went too far and God's going to punish the nations. But where was God? And I I like to think, and people have said, where was God in all this? Um, uh, Michael Rodelick gives a description. At the end of the war, the rescuers came in to save our people. And when they came in, people said, where would God have been in the rescue attempt? And some say, God would have been right here in the rescue, rescuing our people. And the real answer is, God would be the one with His people needing rescue. Because God took His own medicine. God suffered with His own people. God was there with His people in all that. And there's a verse that says that, if you could look with me in Isaiah 63. It says, in all our affliction. You know, it's like, it's almost like a parent has a child, and he warns the child, don't go near the electric socket. Don't go near it. Parents, it's better to put a block over it. Don't say don't go near it because they will. But anyway, soon as the child goes there and gets the shock and he's crying, or don't go near the fire and they go through the fire and they're burned. You don't sit down with the child and say, now let me explain to you about electricity. Let me explain to you about fire. What do you do with your child? You weep and mourn and cry with them. God was with His people. Isaiah 63, 9. In all their affliction, God was afflicted, going through it with Him. And the angel of God's presence saved them. In His love and in His mercy, He redeemed them. He lifted them and carried them as in days of old. God was with His people, weeping, suffering, suffering, waiting for them to turn back. Where was God? He was there with them. Third question asked that I come up with. Did God keep His promise? God made a promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, David, and all the Old Testament saints. God says, I will provide for my people a land. I will provide for my people a seed, many, many people, and the ultimate seed, the Messiah. God said, "I will provide a land to seed, and I will provide blessings to the world through the people of Israel, through the Messiah." Did God keep His promise? During that time, it looked as if God would not keep His promise, but God has preserved His promise. Had Hitler and the Nazis and most of the world at that time had their fulfillment of what they wanted, they didn't want one Jewish person. Two thirds of our people survived. By God's mercy and grace. By God's mercy and grace, Steve realized, as I'm going to say next week, in one moment of time, in all of history, one moment of time, all the nations of the world agreed, well, not all. They said the Jewish people can have their homeland. You can only get that for a, probably a period of maybe one vote in the UN. And uh, Thanksgiving weekend in 1947, God preserved and and the nations agreed to give the nation of Israel their own land. Did God keep his promise to his people? If the world had their way, they would have destroyed all of Israel. If we could look up the verse, Jeremiah 31, verse 35. Follow along if we can. Thus says the Lord who gives the sun for light by day, and the fixed uh, order of the moon, stars for light by night, who stirs up the sea so that the waves roar, the Lord of hosts is his name. Keep going. If this fixed order departs from before me, declares the Lord, then the offspring of Israel also will cease from being a nation before me forever. If you want to destroy the Jewish people, you can't. Arnold Fruchtelman has a great message. It's entitled, how to destroy the Jewish people. And wherever he speaks, many Arabs and Muslims and people from all over come to hear how to destroy the Jewish people. And in that message he says, if the fixed order of the sun and the moon and the stars can be destroyed. Actually in Jeremiah 31, uh, uh, 33, it says, if you can search out the stars above, if you can go to the bottom of the ocean, which we can't, if you can search all the depths of the earth, if you can stop the seasons, the sun and the moon and the stars and all the seasons and destroy all the universe, then you can destroy the Jewish people. You can't. Did God keep His promise? There was a great joy in uh, May 14, 1948. God brought our people back. He had been preparing them for that moment. There was a great, great joy in 1967 when God established the nation, the, the city of Jerusalem, the head, uh, we recaptured it and he uh, gathered that as the head of the Jewish nation, as our president so wonderfully has stated and made our embassy there. It is great that we have taken our stand with Israel. Many presidents have talked about it. One president has done it. One president has done it. He has uh, established and it made it known that the Golan Heights in Israel belong to our Jewish people. Very, very few people have done that. He has done some great, great things. (laughs) He, He has opposed many, many people on the far left and the new wave in our Congress of the socialistic, communistic type of behavior they want for America. They want to change America. He does not. I thought about that when we were talking in this program. How many people in the world, where do they want to go? To America. When we talk about racism and problems with white and black, where do all people and black people and all people from different cultures, where do they want to come? They want to come. They don't want to go to Venezuela. They don't want to go to Cuba. They don't want to go to these lands. They want to come to America and what it symbolizes. And now we are at a great threat. Horrible time in in our country, I think. Finally, the last thing I want to say is who God kept his promise and he's going to keep his promise. The last question, whose side is God on? You know, I'm glad you said Israel. And I, I struggle with my comment here because God is not on Israel's side. Wait a second. Don't get mad. Of course he's on Israel's side. I'm saying he's not. Was he on Nebuchadnezzar's side? Titus? uh, Cyrus? Whose side is God on, folks? God's side. We have to ask the question, are we on his side? Of course God is against his enemies. God is against the enemies of Israel. Of course God is defending Israel and loves His people. God is, in a sense, on Israel's side while Israel is on God's side. When Israel gets out of line, it doesn't look pretty. But God, who's is side is He on? Let me put it this way. He's on His side and He's on mankind's side. Here's a verse I want you to hear. Joshua 5, verse 13. Now it came about when Joshua was, uh, let me see, yeah, by Jericho, that he lifted up his eyes. And he looked, and behold, a man standing opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him. You have to understand, in Joshua 5, the Jewish people... Just come out of uh, Moses brought him out of Egypt 40 years later, Joshua brought him across through the uh, Jordan River. Jo- got Joshua brought him onto the side. They're about to come in. they were in the land. They're going to conquer uh, Jericho the land of Israel. Joshua is coming for God, and he's saying to this man with a sword, "Are you for us? Are you for them?" This, this appearance. The man holding the sword opposite him. Joshua, are you for us, for the adversaries? And the the answer was, no. He said, no, rather, I indeed come as the captain of the Lord of hosts. By the way, that captain there was Yeshua. That's who it was, the angel of the Lord, Yeshua. And he's basically saying, of course I'm for my people. I brought them out of Egypt. But I'm rather on God's side and God's purpose, God's plans, God's design. That's what I'm here for. Better, he's saying to Joshua, are you, Joshua, on my side? If you are, let's go for it. He says, and Joshua, uh, no, for the captain, Joshua fell on his face, bowed down, said to him, what is my Lord to say to his servant? Captain, the Lord of hosts said to Joshua, you're on holy grounds. Take off your shoes. You're in the presence of God. God's plan. God's plan. God, whose side is God on? his side. Also, he's on our side. He is on mankind's side. I have to say it many times, he's on Israel's side too, because I said he wasn't, but he is. Psalm 67, 1 and 2. God be gracious to us and bless us and cause his face to shine on us. Selah, that your way may be known throughout all the earth, that your salvation would come to even the Gentiles. God loves mankind. He sent the Messiah so that we could all be on God's side. John, we know the verses. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, Yeshua, the Messiah, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God didn't spare, uh, did not send His Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. He who believes in the Son, see, God loved... The world so much that he sent his son so that we could know God personally. So his son would take away our sin. So the son would be our atonement. And God sent the son, it says here, he who believes in the son has eternal life. He who does not obey the son, follow the son, will not see the life. life, but the wrath of God abides on him. He who believes in him, the son, is not judged. He who does not believe in Him has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. God is for His side, His purpose, His plans, His design. That was for the salvation of mankind. To the Jewish people first and also to the non-Jewish people. John says in 8.24, Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins unless you believe that I am He, You will die in your sins. He came to His own. Those who were His own did not receive Him. But as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in His name, who were born not of blood, not of the flesh, not of the will of man, but of God. God came for the salvation. Whose side is God on? God is on His side. God is on mankind's side. Our question is, are we on God's side? It's all about for prayer. Father God, we thank you for this presentation today. And though we try to answer, it is so hard to answer these questions. We know for certain, Lord, that you are on those side who put their trust in you, who follow you. How do we respond? As faithful, we say you are righteous. We are not righteous. We are not holy. We need you. Where were you, God? You're with your people, calling them to repentance, calling them to turn back to you. You were in the camps with them. Where were you? You were with us. Did you keep your promise? You always keep your promise. It's a must, and you have to. We thank you. May we choose to be on your side by believing in in the Messiah, by following you with all our heart. For we put our trust in you. We thank you that uh, that you sent Yeshua the Messiah to die in our place. We ask all these things in Yeshua's name. Amen. Why don't we conclude now? Can we all stand? If you'd like, you can still look at those posters. Let's all bow together for prayer. We also thank Dave for your... You're sharing with us as well. on <laughs> an The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up the light of His countenance upon you and give you His peace. Bishem Yeshua Meshichenu, Baruch blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord in our Messiah Yeshua's name. We pray. Amen. Shabbat Shalom.